Bill Schwartz is uh, currently a professor and administrator at Western Christian College. He grew up in Edmonton. I'm assuming at the Edmonton Church of Christ. And um, eventually he has gone to school in several different places. I know that he has recently been working on a Ph.D. at uh, the University of Toronto. And so we're grateful that Bill has a chance to be with us today. What would be interesting is to ask right now how many of you attended Western Christian College. And so if you attended Western, I'd like for you to stand. If you attended Western, please stand. Wow. I don't know how many that is. I could count. I won't take time. Thank you very much. That's probably 15 or 20% of our congregation today, wow. more, maybe more than that. And it just shows that that school has had an impact uh, on the Churches of Christ in Western Canada, and we're grateful that it has. And we're grateful that Bill can come and share with us this morning, both as a representative of Western, but more than that, as a representative of Jesus Christ. Thank Bill? You. I'd like to thank Kelly and the elders for giving me the honor and privilege to speak to you today and bring a message from the, the Lord our God. On behalf of Western Christian College, I want to offer you our thanks and appreciation for your past support and ongoing support to help us. We share in like with you a similar mission, that we wish to reach the world for the Lord Jesus Christ by changing lives one student at a time. And we're allowed the unique privilege of being able to model the gospel to students for six to eight hours a day, which allows us a unique opportunity into their lives. And we, again, appreciate very much your support. Immediately following this, we want to host a um, information session in the fireside room. So if you'd like to learn a little bit more about what's happening at Western Christian, I'd invite you to join us. And um, if you want to donate, we are accepting those too. So that's good. Turn your Bibles, please, to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6, I'm going to begin reading verses 1 to 28. And I'm going to be reading from the New International Version. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct. In his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce a decree that anyone who prays to any god except you in the next 30 days, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now O king issued a decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows were open towards Jerusalem. 
Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asked God and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that anyone during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or man except you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands, in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. Well, when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and Persons, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continuously, rescue you. The stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him. And he could not sleep. At first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel! Servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lines? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angels and shut the mouths of the lines. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. Before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the people's nations and men of every language throughout the land. And this is what he wrote. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God. And he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He has rescued Daniel and has the power from the power of the lines. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. May your God, whom you serve continuously, rescue you. Such words. And at an execution even. But what else could Darius say? Having just moments earlier given the command to throw Daniel into a pit of bloodthirsty lines. It was a statement of, of deep resignation and hopeful declaration rolled into one. Somehow, in some way, you, O God of Daniel, rescue him. You see, right up until that moment when Daniel was thrown into the den, there had been the faintest hope, 
that somehow, in some way, this living nightmare would end. We are told in the Bible that, that Darius was determined to rescue Daniel. All the resources of the empire compiled for several painstaking hours and were poured into one single task, that of saving Daniel from death. The best lawyers were consulted. Researchers were sent to certain ancient texts. Priests offered copious sacrifices and prayed diligently to strange gods. But it was not enough. Darius had worked tirelessly until sundown, doing everything within his power to save Daniel. But not even the mighty king, ruler of all the known world, was able to liberate Daniel from this horrific fate. Now, if Daniel was going to be rescued, it would have to be at the hand of his own God. How quickly things can change, right? I mean, from one day to the next... You know, things were going great for Darius. The old king was dead. His kingdom was expanding. His administration was solid. In fact, Darius was going to get a much-needed rest. He was soon going to appoint one of his VPs to CEO over the kingdom. Daniel, an Israelite of exceptional quality, would look after his financial affairs. And Darius could rest. One less matter to worry about. Yes, things seem to be going great. But what Darius failed to notice was that his decision to promote Daniel to CEO did not sit very well with the other executives in the kingdom. We're not told why they were so unhappy to have Daniel elevated to secure a promotion above them. All we know is that it disturbed them so much that they were consumed with sabotaging his career. The kingdom's two other VPs and 120 managers met around water coolers and in the parking lot. They set up secret down with Daniel meetings, talking, plotting, scheming. If only they could show somehow that Daniel was was corrupt or negligent in his duties. Perhaps then they could convince the king to change his mind. They went through Daniel's financials thoroughly. They badgered his staff, trying to find just something, some evidence of wrongdoing. They even tried sending someone to bribe him. But nothing seemed to work. Daniel was legit, the real deal. He was someone who could be trusted. And they hated him all the more for that. Well, since there was nothing wrong in Daniel's professional life to keep him from becoming CEO, the focus turned to his personal life. What was Daniel's greatest weakness? Wine? No. Not women? Not wealth. No, it would have to be something to do with his religion. Something to do with the law of his God. 
you know there is a possibility. Collectively, the VPs and managers entered the great hall of the king. Walking together in procession, wearing their Armani suits and their expensive leather shoes, they proceeded to the front and stopped before the king in pretense and bowed before him. O King Darius, live forever. Hey, we have a great idea, one that we think will honor you tremendously. Here's our idea. We think that to honor you, everybody within the kingdom, everyone within your empire, should only pray to you for 30 days and to no one else. And if anybody's caught praying to any other god or to anything else, they'll be thrown into a lion's den to be consumed. This is a good idea, don't you think? What do you say? In fact, we already prepared the documents. Just sign right here, please. Oh, they were very persuasive. Appealing to Darius' sense of grandiose, of narcissism, of pride. And they convinced Darius to make the suggestion into law. And he signed it. Their plan worked. If Daniel was the uncompromising individual they believed him to be, now it would be only a matter of time. And soon Daniel would be at their mercy. Well, they didn't have to wait long. Daniel was caught in his home on his knees, praying to his God, offering praises, and petitioning for wisdom and for help. Daniel was guilty. There was no means for appeal, no promise of pardon, no legal loophole to wiggle through. His sentence was swift. Death by lion. And now standing there, in the darkness, in the light of torches, peering helplessly into the lion's den where the stench of old blood and rotting flesh filled the senses, all Darius could think to say was, May your God rescue you. May your God rescue you. If Daniel was going to be rescued... It was going to be by the hand of his God. Darius's power and control over the situation seemed to ebb away as he watched as they quickly covered the pit with a stone, an impassable door of rock. There was nothing more he could do. You know, each of us can find ourselves in seemingly impossible situations. Feeling hopeless and helpless and frustrated. You know, a couple of misplaced decisions. A smattering of bad luck. Perhaps we're the victims of circumstances, casualties of the system. Maybe we took too many chances. Risked beyond our means. Whatever it was. You know, things seem to be going so well. And then... And then the doors of security and opportunity and love began to close around us. And hope was entombed. And we were left alone. 
we find ourselves in these situations. On the other side of the door. It's one thing if we close the doors, we feel empowered. But when someone else closes the door, and we are the ones shut out, and we feel that there's nothing more that we can do, we've tried everything. We feel lonely and frightened and weary. And people tell us, you know, when one door closes, another one opens. And we know they mean well. We know that when they're telling us that, that they're trying to encourage us. But what they fail to realize is the closed door still hurts, doesn't it? It's painful. We don't recognize the loss. The plant closes and employees stand in shock with their pink slips outside a chain gate that they passed through for 20 years, wondering how they're going to make ends meet. A house is foreclosed upon and a frightened family stares at the locked front door from inside their orange and white moving truck, wondering where they will go. A marriage ends in divorce. Perhaps the last image you have is watching your spouse walk down the hall with two brown suitcases and then hearing the not-so-gentle closing or slamming of the front door behind them. And you wonder if you'll ever, ever make it through this. It's one thing to stand when the door is closed. Having done all that you can do, And wonder where God is. It's hard to see God sometimes behind closed doors. We wonder what will come of us. We wonder, will God come through? I mean, he's helped us all the way through, but this time it's different, right? We've never been in this place before. Anxiety, distress, worry, depression, sleepless nights, ulcers, loss of appetite. When we have done all we can and there's still no resolution to our problems, it just seems that our our personal sense of power and control in life just ebbs away. We can feel feeble and abandoned and vulnerable. And we cry out, where is God? We cannot see God working behind the closed doors. Is He there at all? You know, in such a context, waiting for a better tomorrow can be challenging and a very heart-wrenching proposition. We can understand then Darius as he stood there watching as they covered Daniel's living tomb. It was a long, lonely night for Darius. Back in the palace, he could find no peace. And he was surrounded by every kind of opulence. Statues of gold and marble and rich aromas of his favorite foods and entertainment of exotic dancers and musicians. And he would have none of it. Not tonight. After all, what good is pleasure when there is pain in the heart? All he could do is lay in his bed and just wait. Just wait for dawn to break. Deep in distress, there would be no sleep. 
Would the God of Daniel, whom he worships so faithfully, be powerful enough to rescue him? Would God come through? And as darkness began to fade, Darius made preparations to return to the lion's den. There was no time to lose. Get up! Get up! Rousing his guards and servants, they left the palace with him in lead on foot. It would have been a painful journey marching towards that den. The king simultaneously filled with with hope and dread. I mean, after all, what would they find when they arrived? A living Daniel who served the living God? Or a lair full of well-satiated, well-fed lines? The pace quickened until the den was finally in view. And, and Darius had to know now, even before he reaches the tomb, with great anguish, Daniel re- inquires, O Daniel, servant of the living God, Has your God been able to rescue you from the lions? And at first, perhaps, there was a muffled sound. And it sounded almost human. So Darius listened harder, and suddenly the unmistakable familiar voice replied, O king, live forever. It was Daniel. He was alive, but how could this be? My God. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I done anything wrong before you, O king. Yes, it was a miracle. And there was no disguising Darius's joy. Quickly he had Daniel pulled from the lion's den. And what a reunion that must have been. The God of Daniel had been at work Behind the door of stone. You know, perhaps that's one of our greatest challenges of faith. Trusting in a God we cannot see to act in ways we cannot readily understand. And we wonder how God can possibly change our situation. How can he he break in? We just can't see it. And so slowly, as time goes along... We question our faith. We wonder if God really is at work behind closed doors. Or maybe the preacher's just lying. It's in those times that we're required to live large in our faith. And we can, like Darius, hope in a God that will act. And yet we wonder, don't we? We believe in this God, and yet, why didn't he step in before? Why didn't he intervene at some time along the process? How can we follow this God who allowed anxiety and distress to paralyze us? And yet it's precisely in those times. It's precisely at those moments when we re- re- when we need to remember that God has been active behind closed doors before, even doors made of stone. That's what we believe, right? That God has been active behind doors of stone before. 2,000 years ago, the disciples standing outside of a tomb, when things were at their bleakest, when all hope seemed to vanish as smoke, when life seemed pointless and meaningless, God was active. 
A stone door that blocked the entrance to a tomb was rolled away and new life emerged and hope was rekindled. Jesus lives. Jesus lives. Right? Jesus lives. Isn't that what we celebrate? We are saved that despite what happens to us in this life or in death, in open courtyards or behind closed doors, God is for us and He has saved us. And we can understand then why Darius wrote to all the people of all nations and of every language about such a God. For this is the God that we follow, that we serve. A God who acts behind closed doors. This is the God who inspires proclamation and worship and rejoicing. This is the God that we serve here this morning. You know, I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know your trials, your pain. I don't know what you've lost or what you're about to lose. But I ask you to join with me in hearing a message from the Lord to you today. I am the living God who endures forever. My kingdom will never be destroyed. I rescued Daniel from the power of men who would slander Daniel's name, who would malign his character, who would bring him harm. And I can rescue you too. I was there when hope seemed lost. Don't just believe in me. Don't just believe in me. Have faith in me. Have faith in me. The God that you serve continuously. For I am with you always.